Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Should be wearing blue. You guys are wearing What's blue. up, you guys? Sean Ross, <laughs> managing editor, FightfulMMA.com. You can go there to get all of your MMA news. You can also subscribe right here at youtube.com slash fightful mma boxing but we are on podcast platforms everywhere from itunes stitcher uh youtube uh, fightfulpods.com we have iHeartRadio, radio spotify I may, I may have said iheart already who gives a damn we got lots to talk about ufc brooklyn they had some good numbers a big main event a good show overall we've got bellator this weekend james lynch is going to be there lots of stuff to talk about so let's just get into it I'm joined by Showdown Jojo. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Love the fact that you guys are both wearing blue. That's uh, what we tried to kick off at the beginning there, but I, I apologize. I didn't know you were going live, but as you look at <laughs> Slick, I should have wore blue. It's okay, James. I got the old sports net uh, when I was on the air there sometimes you go. In, in nice uh, uh, areas where I didn't have to wear my blazer, but uh, yeah, you guys are looking pretty slick. Sean's got the man bun. Oh, you guys are looking good. I got the Kentucky shirt r- ripping my, my home state, but uh, programming note, guys. I don't know when the Bellator post show will happen. Might do that on Sunday afternoon ahead of the Royal Rumble. Saturday night, NXT TakeOver. We're going to have a lot of content coming in from James, though, who will be at Bellator. James, when do you fly out? In the morning, right? Yeah, early. I actually am going to be there at the open workouts a little bit late, but the earliest flight I could get out of Vancouver was at 8.40, so I'm, I'm getting in on that, and then I'll, I'll go straight basically from the airport to the open workouts. I should arrive there in, on time, but just like as far as check-in and all that, I'll be like a tiny bit late, but they know about it. It's all good. We're, we're going to get lots of coverage, so it's going to work out. Let's go ahead and kick off with this, with this Bellator show this weekend. Now, I know that neither of you are big pro wrestling guys. Fortunately, I am, and James, you've interviewed... Jack Swagger, now known as Jake Hager, who I joked on the air and I was like, you can tell he saved his money the way that he was reviewing a match that one of his bosses, his former bosses had at Crown Jewel. Says that he hopes to fight several times a year. We're going to get James's insight on his conversation with with, uh, Jake. But they aired a commercial during Raw for Bellator, which I think was a wise decision. Jake Hager, never the biggest star in pro wrestling, James, but was a world champion, beat Chris Jericho to become a world champion, was a Mr. Money in the Bank, got a title match at WrestleMania, had a gimmick that would be much better placed present day than it was then, but they they targeted that pro wrestling audience savvy on the, the, the side of Bellator, in my opinion. Yeah, good move on their part. Got to get that crowd in there. I mean, there will be people that will just watch this card that are pro wrestling fans because they're curious to see how he does. And uh, the one narrative I'm sort of seeing online, which I think is completely wrong, is people comparing uh, this situation to CM Punk. And and clearly, I mean, the, the, the huge difference between the two is that uh, Hager obviously had an NCAA wrestling background, whereas CM Punk did not. So I think, if anything, this is going to be more like uh, like Brock Lesnar uh, making his UFC debut than it would be um, with CM Punk. So um, I'm, I'm expecting big things. This should be interesting. I mean, the thing with... 
the thing is people look at this and they say, oh, he's 36 years old and, you know, what's the ceiling here? But I mean, that's young for heavyweight. We've got guys in their 40s still fighting at heavyweight. So I think this is a, it was a great move by Bellator. Uh, clearly, Jake could have gone to the UFC, but he opted to go Bellator instead. I think he likes what they're doing, especially with the fact that they really have focused on getting these NCAA, uh, you know, high level uh, collegiate wrestlers uh, on their roster. So um, I think it's a big win for them. And, and what a way to put them on this card after they lost uh, Musasi and Lovato Jr. Yeah, I think it was a good move. And a lot of people talk about the the pro wrestling aspect of this. And he told you, James, that our truth may play him to the, the cage. I don't know if that will actually end up happening because as we've seen in the past, CM Punk was supposed to accompany Chael Sonnen to the UFC cage. And Vincent Mann said, somebody's going to die in there one day. And then months later, Triple H and Batista are walking, I think Pacquiao and Mayweather respectively to to the K or to the ring in boxing matches. But you want to talk about Jake Hager, and we don't know a lot about him. He says that he's a better striker than Brock Lesnar. Wouldn't take much. But it, beyond his his wrestling accolades, the guy was a two-sport athlete. He was recruited to the University of Oklahoma to play football as well. And the only people ahead of him were eventual NFL players. So, I mean, that is a special kind of athleticism as well. Uh, we mentioned the heavyweight aspect of that, Joe. He's facing a guy in J.W. Kaiser who nobody here is going to know. Like Nobody watching this show is probably going to know anything about J.W. Kaiser, his history, anything like that. He's a one-on-one pro. I think that is uh, an okay way to debut Jake Hager. Now, that being said, J.W. Kaiser does have, I think, 18, 19, 20 amateur fights. What what does that mean, if anything, to you, Joe? Well, it means it's it's much better in his favor when you take a look at, you know, people don't don't respect the amateur side of, of mixed martial arts, but it's important to note that that is ring time, that is cage time, that is understanding, preparing, getting in there, and, you know, a, a cage door being shut, uh, and it's just you, your opponent, and a referee. So that does play it. But I like the, like the point that you made about, you know, Jake's a, an athlete. Right, it, the athleticism. Now, I back in the day, I remember uh, the Ultimate Fighter ten, if I'm not mistaken, the heavyweights. Uh, you know, there were some athletes on there with Brendan Schaub, and there were some other guys on there um, that you'd say, you know what, if you can bring that type of athleticism, especially in the heavyweight division, to mixed martial arts, and especially in a division where you don't have to be as technical uh, as guys in the smaller weight classes, it can help you a lot. But athleticism will only take you so far. You still have to be a fighter. You know, Derek Lewis, he's a fighter, okay? You still have to have heart. Derek Lewis has heart. Lots of these guys have heart. Heart is not something that can be taught. You either have it or you don't. Now, it can come with experience, but some guys and girls have much more of it uh, than don't. So even though it's Jake's debut, he is fighting a guy with some sort of experience here, uh, and he'll have to play it correctly, play it smart, and understand that, um, you know, we saw what happened uh, this past weekend in the co-main event where, you know, there's only so much you can do. If you don't have stamina, you don't have cardio, you don't have heart, uh, we'll see what happens. Now, don't get me wrong. In the Comey event, we saw disqualification. We'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, I'm very interested in seeing um, you know, what Hager brings uh, to the cage. And I'm also pleasantly surprised that the two of you, as well as me, kind of look at Bellator and say, you know what? Smart move. Very smart yeah. move in the advertising. So, uh, And I do want to say one thing about the professional wrestling and the fact that James and I don't really follow it much, don't write about it much, don't talk about it much. My wife broke the news to me last night, Sean, that she's like, hey, I'm thinking of buying some tickets for Thomas for when that wrestling stuff comes to Toronto. I said, mm -hmm. what? We're going to put him in. You want to send him to a WWE event? Got four He's straight like, yeah, nights of it in August. What's that? Four straight nights of it in August. May have to reach out to you to see if you get some connections on tickets, my friend. Probably, probably could. Uh, this Bellator show is prominently featuring Jack Swagger, obviously. Uh, James, you were able to speak to him. What kind of mindset did you get? out of him as he's leading up to his MMA debut? Because this, this has been a long time coming. I, I found him to be fairly confident. I think that comes with him having competed in collegiate wrestling and then in the WWE as well. I mean, you know, for a lot of fighters, this is pretty nerve wracking. You're switching sports. You're, you're in a big promotion in Bellator. It's not like he's, you know, making his debut for Wild Bill's fight night or something like that. Right. So, and this is actually a pretty big card too with, you know, you, you know, he's a heavyweight making his heavyweight debut, his MMA debut on the same card as one of the greatest heavyweights of all time in Fedor Emelianenko. So it just seems to me like he's confident. He likes the way he's doing his training. Interestingly enough, I'm going to throw a name out here that you guys will probably haven't heard in forever. Josh Rafferty. Remember him? Fought in the I have heard that. One? 
I have yeah. heard that name. So funny you mentioned that when you when you mentioned Jack Swagger in um or he mentioned to you that he had done some training with him. The thing is, I had long forgotten that that, that I knew that name from MMA yeah. because he's associated with a lot of pro wrestlers these days. Oh, he, I like, didn't know that. Okay. He helps train Sheamus and and uh several pro wrestlers actually. So when I heard that, I my mind made the connection and I thought, oh, of course. But yeah, Josh Rafferty, tell us some more about this. Well, just just that he's been working with him, and it, and it seems to pay well. And that that friendship has gone, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's been around for a while because, uh, of course, uh, you know, he has ties to Ohio. Uh, that's where, um, obviously, uh, Josh Rafferty is from. So they've been working together. So I just I found that interesting because Josh Rafferty was one of those guys where he was on the Ultimate Fighter. I think he won a fight or two, and then you just never heard from him again. So to hear that name, because uh, you know I'm an OG when it comes to the Ultimate Fighter, that was what got me into MMA. Was that first season? So when he said Josh Rafferty, uh, you know, obviously my ears per- perked up. But I thought that was interesting that Josh is, you know, doing more of the coaching stuff. And I just, the, the sense I got from, from Jake, uh, just speaking to him is just that he's well-prepared. Um, he knows what he's going in for. He's not an idiot. Like he knows obviously that, you know, in, in any fight, there's always a danger of, of losing, but uh, I just, I just sensed a confidence. I didn't sense like a, a nervousness or a, you know, anxiety or anything like that. It just seemed like he's really ready for this and he's ready to seize the moment. And the other thing I took away was just that he was very impressed with Bellator. Like, I think, you know, we can't understate the fact that he could have gone elsewhere but he chose to go with Bellator. Two names that I, I think I'm pretty sure Josh Rafferty has worked with. Uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., who is a Billy Robinson disciple and a member of the famous Hart wrestling family. Uh, Dave Batista and uh, Sheamus in WWE. Uh, there are several. He's, he's very, very tight-knit in the pro wrestling uh, community in that regard. This show starts off with why is this happening? A five and six <laughs> Brandon McMahon facing Adele El Tamini. Why? Why, I, Joe? Why, James? Anybody? Can it? What? We just someone must have dirt on Coker. We just finished complimenting them and doing a good job. And I was just after I said that, I went back to you guys and I looked at the beginning of the card at the featherweight. I'm like, nah, guys, really. I mean, you have Desmond Torres. He's five and one. You have Steve Ramirez. He's six and three. They're both flyweights. So Bellator putting on a flyweight fight. I think from a PR standpoint, that fight would make a hell of a lot of sense above this one. Bellator could say, "Hey, we'll book we'll book you flyweights if you want to come over here. We'll start a new division if the UFC is not going to continue it." You have. I, I don't know. Just looking at the card, James Barnes eleven and three, Ryan Lilly nine and four. From the outside <laughs> looking in, that seems like it makes more sense as well. Yeah, James it, Barnes actually just defeated uh, Albert Morales, the UFC veteran on that Golden Boy card. So there, there is a bit of a tie there. And Ryan Lilly, uh, pretty much, if he would have won his last fight, he would have been fighting for an LFA title. Uh, but he fought Rafion Stotts, who's uh, just a top bantamweight out of Rufus Sport. So this, I, this is the fight to me. The Barnes and Lilly fight is the one that should be on the main card. It makes no sense to me. They're both local guys too. Lilly's trained by Boss Rutten. Um, there, there's a lot of sort of tie-ins there that would be a good fight for like a hometown fight because both these guys are California guys. But why is a Five and six, Brandon McMahon, and, and uh, unless he's related to Ed McMahon, I don't see a reason why Brandon McMahon is on the main card here. I can call Lex McMahon and ask if you want. There you go, last. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Yeah. Well, one fight I am ex- excited about is Juan Archuleta, twenty-one and one, taking on Ricky and Bandejas. Uh, Ricky debuted in August, I believe it was, and Juan Archuleta just had an amazing 2018. He went from not even being in the company. He had that fight with Zach Church that was canceled. He stepped in and fought a guy in William Joplin, who was a 50-50 fighter at best. But he beat Robbie Peralta, Jeremy Spoon. I think after this, if Juan Archuleta is able to get a win, and he's riding, I think, 16 straight wins, if he, he's able to pull this one off, you got to give him a, a top-flight fight in Bellator. If he stepped in and in 11 months, Joe, won four fights in a row, 4-0 in Bellator, you you got, you got to give him that step up. Well, it's very, very easy to promote in that type of scenario. Just take exactly what you just said, clip it, and give it to Bellator. It's very simple. And you're dealing with a guy with that type of a win streak. Uh, yeah, he deserves uh, you know top contenders at least, or someone in that uh, you know where he can be a fight or two away from a title shot. Because you don't just do that uh, and not have some success and not show that you've got some skills. So I agree 100 percent with what you just said. Ricky, on the other hand, has had trouble getting in the cage, getting people to fight him. I think he had five fights canceled in 11 months. It was unbelievable across Ring of Combat and, and Cage Fury. 
James, when, when you see this matchup, and he is most famous for knocking out James Gallagher, what what are you expecting out of this? Because you, you have a guy who made his name off of a really good moment in Ricky Bandeas, and then you have Juan Archuleta, who is just a firecracker in this division. There's so many things to talk about with this fight. First off, let me say this potentially could be fight of the night here. This is just great matchmaking. You've got Ben Diaz coming off a huge win over Gallagher. Um, you know, those in the know, people like myself, knew that Ricky Ben Diaz shouldn't have been an underdog against James Gallagher. He had the experience going into that. Uh, he fought more at uh, 35. I mean, Ricky is talented, and they've got a they've got a really good uh, blue chip prospect here, 27 years old, r- really good fighter. So there's that, and uh, and then you've got Juan Archuleta who hasn't fought at bantamweight since December of 2016. He's actually fought as high High as 160, as low as bantamweight. So he's all over the place. But uh, you mentioned those wins in Bellator. I think the one thing we can all agree on, though, um, you know, the, the Peralta win obviously looks good because Peralta was a UFC vet, but not really strong competition. So let's see how he does against someone who clearly has a good resume, has a good record. I mean, Archuleta has the experience, but, you know, Bandeas has, has looked great. And, and he's, he's got some really good wins here. Um, if you look at his resume here for Bandeas, um, he actually has a win over a UFC bantamweight on Mirab Devalishvili. Um, he's got a win over CES uh, bantamweight champion, Tony Gravely. Uh, so all the wins he has are, are pretty legit. And Archuleta has some good wins too. But um, I think if you, you know, if you look at, Bandeas, he's pretty much only taught, fought taught the top guys. Um, and then Archuleta, the other thing with him is he just comes from a great camp. He's one of TJ Dillashaw's main training partners. Aaron Pico trains there as well. He does a little bit of work with them. Listen to this. This is who's going to be cornering Archuleta this Saturday. This is like an all-star team here. Joe Daddy Stevenson, Cub Swanson, TJ Dillashaw. Like it doesn't get any better than that for corner wow. advice. So Archuleta has, you know, just so many good training partners, so many options as far as who he gets to work with in his camps. Um, this is a close fight. I mean, I, I, I would, I would slightly lean Bandeas just because I think he has shown more at 35 than Archuleta has. And I think he's fought tougher guys, but Archuleta, like you said, has the experience. And here's the other thing, guys, the winner of this, I have no doubt will, is probably going to fight for the title next. But of course, as Joe knows, they're probably doing that Horiguchi and Caldwell rematch in Bellator first. So I don't know if one of these guys wants to wait around for that, but either way, I think the winner of this should be up for a title shot uh, next, just with their records. Speaking of potential title shots, you have Aaron Pico, who is four and one. Boy, has that been a one eighty from his debut they against do, Zach yeah. Freeman? It's it's unbelievable the the trajectory that he has taken and the level of talent that he's facing as well. He stepped in there against Zach Freeman, who was a questionable booking because of his experience level to begin with, lost, and then he's like, "No, I want to go right back to fighting guys that are even tougher than Zach Freeman." And we've seen it. Uh, Shane Crutchton, uh, Leandro Higo, man, that was an incredible win. If he beats Henry Corrales, Joe, does does Aaron Pico get a title shot a year and a half after he became a pro fighter? Depends if they want to rush him or not, right? Um, you can What's make the, the argument. Himself, apparently? What's that? What's the rush himself, apparently? Yeah, I mean, it all depends on what the goal is with Aaron Pico. They know they've got a, you know, James mentioned a blue chip prospect here. And here's a guy that's done absolutely fantastic with the exception of his debut that took all of us uh, by surprise with that loss. I mean, that thing lasted not even 30 seconds. And we were like, oh, uh, okay, got a bit of a problem here. And, he, you know, he rebounds with four straight wins. None of them, none of his fights have gone uh, past the first round. I mean, his longest fight was three minutes and 45 seconds, which was that second fight. So uh, I, I would like to see... I know it could be difficult, but I want to see this guy's heart tested just to see what will happen when everything he throws at someone doesn't work. And now he's got to sit there, you know, and, and you know, mix and match a style or figure out, you know, you've got to go to plan B potentially. So uh, I think with a win here, bringing himself to five and one, you can make the argument that this guy's, you know, it, it is Bellator. You just never know. But he's got the skills. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Zach Freeman should either make a decision whether he wants that fight back or wants to give him a rematch or not. But, yeah, Pico's something else. Though. He is something special for sure. James, where do you stand on this one? I mean, Pico is is very good. It's it's impressive. You, you can draw a lot of parallels between he and Henry Cejudo in, in a lot of different manners. I mean, the level of improvement that we've seen, he's downright scary. He's knocking people out. Bellator has really lucked out with a lot of these wrestlers that they've converted over to MMA because it seems like they they, they just snatched up all of them that had the, have these power this power in their hands as well. They've looked like they've struck gold with him. 
Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of things to talk about here. It's kind of like interesting matchmaking because you have Pico who, you know, like I said, has resurrected himself from, from the debut loss and he's fighting a guy in Henry Corrales, who's probably the most underrated uh, featherweight in that division. Uh, Henry Corrales started his Bellator career off 0-3. Who were his first three opponents, you ask? Daniel yeah. Strauss, Emmanuel Sanchez, and Perdicio Pitbull. Once he, you know, shuck, uh, you know got, got rid of those cobwebs, he went on a four-fight win streak. His last fight, uh, an impressive finish over Andy Main, who's on the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, he's also got a win over Georgie Karahaki. And comes from a good camp at the lab. Uh, he's a vet. I mean, this is this is a good matchup here. Can Henry get to that next level? Get to that title shot? Get that rematch with Pitbull? We'll see. He's got to fight Aaron Pico. And and one thing I'll disagree with you there. I, I'd say that Pico's competition leading up to the Higo fight actually wasn't that great. The guy that he fought in Justin Lin was a bantamweight, moved up to featherweight. Crutchin hadn't fought in two years when he fought Pico. Lee Morrison, eighteen and eight record, but not really like an outstanding guy. The Higo fight for me was good. But again, you could point to the fact that Higo is a bantamweight and moved up a weight class, and it's not really his weight class. But let's pretend that, you know, Higo, you know, that was a good win, got finished in the first round. It's interesting because Corrales, the one thing you can look at here, he's, he's a tough guy to finish. Uh, I mean, uh, he, he's been submitted twice in his, uh, in his career. But other than that, he's been, he's been a guy that's really hard to take out. So if Pico can't get that quick finish, will he be able to do enough to, to get a decision here? I think Pico's going to win. I just think younger guy, 22 years old, a little bit more movement, always can go back to the wrestling. I mean, if this turns into a wrestling match, clearly Pico would win the fight. Um, but, but you know, you can't sleep on Henry Corrales here because, again, I think his body of work, the guys that he's fought, that experience, you, you, can't, you can't put that into, into a training camp. Um, Pico's, like I mentioned, trains with Dillashaw and, and Juan Archuleta, but he also trains at the body shop with AJ McKee. So, again, getting some outstanding training partners here, very confident. The question is, you know, the winner of this fight, do they get a title shot? You've also got A.G. McKee out there, and that's the interesting thing, too. Would yeah. You know, Pico says that he'll never fight McKee. He pretty much said that when I spoke to him. Um, so you've got kind of this interesting thing. Would would Pico have to move up to 55 again? We'll, we'll see what happens. So there's a lot of options at featherweight, but this fight is very important for the division, and I can't wait. So it's funny that you mentioned the Henry Corrales three losses, Daniel Strauss, Emmanuel Sanchez, Patricky Pitbull. Bellator is usually quick on the trigger to fire people uh, in exactly. some instances. What did they do? They scheduled another fight for Corrales. He was supposed to fight AJ McKee after all that, if you remember. That's it's right. Like, man, yeah. that poor guy. But he, he's come back and he's had those great wins, including Georgie Karakanyan. I should specify, when I meant the level of competition against Pico, I'm talking like an 0-1 guy fighting a 7-3 and guy. And, True. Yeah. No, you're right. A guy in his second fight facing Shane Crutchton, who was on a hot streak until a couple of years ago. So, I mean, that, that's more of what I meant. But for his skill level, it, it, was, it was definitely on the level. This is one that I can't wait for. Uh, Henry Corrales is a guy who three years ago, uh, just under three years ago, we were talking about like maybe or before, right before Fightful launched, actually. I was surprised that he got that fight against Cody Bollinger. And now he's come back and won four in a row and he is in the conversation. I'm ready to have this conversation because I am, I'm just ready for this fight. This is a fight that I never expected to happen. Ever. Ever. Like, and never thought I would be excited for. We're talking about Ryan Bader as a heavyweight and a damn good one facing Fedor Emelianenko. Where do we begin? Well, first off, I just want to say Ryan Bader should have gotten a light heavyweight title shot against Daniel Cormier. I feel robbed of that fight. And before that, there was all the you can't market it, you can't do this, you can't do that. Apparently, could have marketed it at either division. I, I don't care if it was a heavyweight or light heavyweight. Joe, I remember when we covered it, and we were both sold the night that Ryan Bader crashed the press conference. It was awesome. I was like, he did it. He took it into his own hands, and he made it his own. I don't think that we – I'm not sure, but I don't think that we ever saw him in the UFC again. Maybe no. we saw the Nog fight. I can't remember if that's before or after, but he would go to Bellator, and since going to Bellator <laughs> – Phil Davis, Linton Vassell, King Mo, Matt Mitrione. That's unbelievable. You got Phil Davis, a pretty big light heavyweight. You have Linton Vassell, who is a heavyweight now. King Mo, who has had quite a bit of success at heavyweight on his own. And then you got Matt Mitrione. But Ryan Bader's facing Fedor Emelianenko. And Fedor faced a way overmatched Chael Sonnen. But... In what I saw in some of those grappling exchanges outside of that ridiculous roll through <laughs> that Chael Sonnen did was Fedor still having some of those instincts. A lot of the times with Fedor, you see the instincts where he gets punched and he swings back. 
you saw a lot of his grappling instincts there. Joe, what are you looking for in this fight? Personally, I got I don't know how I could go with anybody but Bader. He's a minus 380 favorite. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh in in this case it's the youth factor. Uh speed, speed kills. I think Ryan Bader's going to have to use his speed and his footwork uh and just, you know, you got to always respect Fedor's power. Uh, and because he can throw anything from anywhere, I know people complain about his looping punches and stuff like that. Irrelevant, because when they land, it's all, it's almost game over. So uh, especially the overhand right, be careful of the clinch. I know you're a wrestler by trade. You have no problem engaging with any other human being, especially someone that you may believe uh, is, you know, you've got the upper hand on in wrestling. Don't bother. Don't bother. Just use your speed. Use your, use your you know, what you have there for you against your opponent. So I think if, if Ryan can play this smart, Use his angles. Be careful of Fedor. Just chip away, man. Chip away. You don't have to end it in the first round. Chip away. Wait till he makes that mistake and then go in there for the finish. But always be cognizant of you're dealing with the guy. Uh, you know, forget the bad bod. He's got strength. And when it comes to the grappling, if you do decide to go down to the mat, man, get your finish. Get your finish fast. Get your finish quick. Get out of there. If not, you could find yourself in trouble because Fedor doesn't need much room uh, to make him pay. So uh, I am leaning towards Ryan Bader in this fight here. I can't wait for it to happen because if Bader does win, I'm interested in his post-fight interview. If, uh, you know, boom, call out DC or say something about the UFC or say do something because uh, now, you know, the guy that he wanted to fight uh, is also a heavyweight champion uh, in the division in the promotion he used to compete with. So it could get really interesting to see how this all works out there. Now, if Fedor wins... What are we going to be saying Sunday morning? That's the real question. James, I'm going to get your full breakdown of this, but you look at the Fedor resume. He beat Chael Sonnen, a middleweight. He beat Frank Mir, completely washed. He lost to Mitrione. He probably should have lost to Fabio Maldonado. What is Jaideep Singh? I don't know what, what or who that is. And before that, he hadn't fought since the Pedro Hizo fight, the Satoshi Ishii fight. I'm looking at that, and I'm like, all things considered, Satoshi Ishii was probably the best opponent that he fought in that stretch, and that is not a very ringing, it's not a big endorsement. He beat Jeff Monson before that, but now we're getting into eight, seven, eight years ago. What does Fedor have left? Obviously, he has enough to go seven and one over this stretch, but against very questionable talent. Ryan Bader is not questionable talent. The interesting thing here, though, is that Fedor still has knockout power. I mean, we saw that against Chell. Uh, you know, that's still a dangerous weapon. And, and it's, what's interesting with Ryan Bader is that all of his losses are by stoppage. Um, you know, and, and we you know, granted, Fedor is not Anthony Rumble Johnson, but still, I mean, it's one of those things where we have seen Bader clip before. Um, and, and we should mention the Mitrione fight. Uh, I mean, that, that could have gone either way. I mean, they, they both punched each other. Fedor was, or Mitrione was the one who happened to get up and, and it sort of ended that way. But, uh, but yeah, I think honestly, if we, if Bader had not fought Mitrione and fought someone else and got in the finals, I might've been a little, leaning a little bit more towards Fedor, but that win over Mitrione was huge. Mitrione is a legit head heavyweight and Bader completely dominated him. Like Bader, Mitrione was not in that fight whatsoever. And that to me really said that this guy can compete at heavyweight. So, um, yeah, I, I think, I think you'd have to figure favor Bader here as far as the matchup goes uh wrestling wise I think uh, and, and like Joe mentioned the speed I think that will be too much but again Fader has a puncher's chance if you have a puncher's chance you're in a fight especially at heavyweight so um I, I think if we're looking at the odds here which we haven't even talked about I, I'm looking right now it's a uh, minus 380 for Bader uh a million eight plus 315 the value on this fight's on Fedor because he could land a shot it, it could end Bader at minus 330 I, I he probably will win he, he, you know whether it's a decision or or a stoppage. I mean, the fact that it's five rounds, you know, lets me know it's a decision. And actually, the fight does not go to the decision prop is minus 505. Fight goes to a decision is plus 335. So I think that tells you everything you need to know that there will be a finish in this fight. But uh, I, again, you can't ignore the knockout power of Fader. Is as, as, as lackluster as his competition has been over the, that whatever the seven and one stretch, he's still he's still got a puncher's chance. So for that reason, the value to me on this fight is on Fedor, but Bader should win this fight. That's the only fight I can really find odds on at this point. And I tell you what, yeah, I yeah. still got five on it. I got five on Fedor. <laughs> it's it's yeah. it's worth it. And hey, Maya got five on it's worked out real well this past weekend. We'll talk about that uh, momentarily. But if Ryan Bader were to win, let's let's look back at his re- his legacy and his resume. Now, whether or not they were where they were at any given point in their careers, you're talking Fedor, King Mo. Phil Davis, uh, Antonio Rogerio Noguera, Ilar Latifi, who is still a very high-level light heavyweight, Rashad Evans, Phil Davis again. 
OSP, a former title challenger. Feijiao, a former Strike Force champion. Matt Yashinko, a, a pioneer. Rampage Jackson, another one over Rogerio Noguera. And then you go back and you even see like the Keith Jardines of the world. The guy has been around for a long time. Ryan Bader emerged in the spring summer of 2008. Here he is in 2019 competing for a heavyweight title against the guy who was considered by many the greatest fighter of all time at that point. It's unbelievable. James, what do you have on the docket for your uh, Bellator coverage this week? Well, we got the open workouts tomorrow, uh, which they don't normally do, or they usually combine it with the media day. So there's actually a separate day for the open workouts on Wednesday. So I'll be getting there for that. And then media days on Thursday. Um, and, uh, and, and then of course, uh, the weigh-ins Friday, early morning weigh-ins, regular weigh-ins, and then the event on Saturday. Um, but I'm going to try and line some stuff out, um, like, like outside of media day, try and do some more video game and fighter interviews, just do something different. Cause we're all going to get the same interviews pretty much, uh, as much as we can. But one thing I like about Bellator is that usually when you do, you know, when they do sort of the, the media day and stuff, they really make sure you get everyone. I know with the UFC, it's like you get an hour on media day, you got to get whoever you can. And if you don't, you're screwed. So, uh, I'm going to try obviously getting as much as I can. I actually switched my hotel. So, uh, I'm not staying at the fighter hotel, but I'm staying very close by. So I will be, uh, you know, going there after all the media stuff. So we'll see it. I'm, I'm going to put a TBA next to that because, uh, uh, you know, I, I have some things lined up, but I want to make sure they actually pan out before I, uh, you know, promise our listeners here, uh, you know, something something great. But I, I will get some really good stuff outside of the media stuff. UFC Brooklyn was really good stuff. I did a full review on it on uh, Saturday night, so you guys can check that out. Uh, this will be more of James and Joe's thoughts on this show. Did great numbers, Joe. Over 500,000 ESPN Plus signups. I know that's something you all don't have to worry about, but considering (laughs) that for a while it seemed like 500,000 people just watching the damn show on TV was going to be the trend in America, they got 500,000 people, 525,000 people to to sign up for their premium service. Not just that, a 1.4 rating on ESPN. These are amazing numbers for the UFC. And... We'll, we'll talk about the fights and everything, but the, the UFC and ESPN have to be on a high right now, Joe. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it, it goes back to a long time ago. Um, it it kind of woke me up in terms of, you know, being a broadcast partner of the UFC back in the day. Uh, I remember Dana White pulling a bunch of us in there from, from Ariel uh, Helwani to uh, Kevin Ioli, uh, John Morgan, and a bunch of us. Also other, uh, I think Ron Kruk was there, a bunch of us that were sort of partners of the UFC in terms of content. Uh, and he, Dana said, look, man, we're, we're in the fight business. Uh, we're in the business of putting on really good championship fights, but we're also in the TV business. We're there to help new partners develop their brands, their products, and their mediums. Uh, and signing with ESPN is one thing. That is huge. Remember where these guys came from. Uh, from Spike TV to having no deal to almost, you know, you know Lorenzo Fertitta and the Fertitta brothers basically saying we're done with the UFC. Uh, we've already lost too much money in terms of investment to get to doing the Ultimate Fighter, to getting the second season of the Ultimate Fighter, the contract on a, on a napkin, right? To then getting to Fox, which was absolutely huge. But the goal has always been if you have a sports product, you want to be on the biggest platform, which is obviously ESPN uh, in the States and globally. And they did that. And then in doing so, helping them out with their platform to get that many new subscribers and that, that get that type of rating uh, on your first show. It, will it always be like that, guys? I don't know. I doubt it. It all depends on the type of main events uh, and promotion they'll have moving forward. But it is huge. And, and that's what Dana White's always been really good at. Say what you want about him. And you know, I've, I've got my issues and, and compliments and issues with him. Don't get me wrong. But he knows what he's doing, and he's done a great job with every single partner that he's ever been with in helping them establish their own product and medium. So kudos to Dana, kudos to the UFC, uh, kudos to those that put the... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill show together and kudos to ESPN for, you know, it, it, people don't realize it, it's still signing 
with the UFC is a risk. And it's a risk sometimes. You take great risks, you get great rewards. And they got rewarded with it very well on this first show. So good for them. James, this is a, a big positive for the UFC and ESPN. Their first content on that channel. Uh, there, there are some things like I really enjoy Ariel and Chael's show on that because I like Chael as an MMA personality. I really think he's found his groove. There are some things that I don't like about the production, like Stephen A. Smith offering his <laughs> MMA expertise or lack thereof. You've got there, some of the personality issues on there, but all in all, I think this was a home run for the UFC. It was. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, it's funny you bring up Stephen A because, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that we're even talking about it is a win for the UFC because that that's why they did that. It's that, you know, Stephen A Smith says something. Oh, we got to talk about it. So that that in itself draws attention to it. Uh, the one thing I was a little bit disappointed, I, I was hoping we'd see something a little bit different in terms of the production. But didn't it feel a lot of times you're watching the card and it's like they just slapped an ESPN logo on a regular Fox broadcast. That's kind of yeah. what I felt. I was hoping we'd see something different. I did like them adding the coach in there with Trevor Whitman. I liked the, you know, the advice in between uh, rounds and things like that. I like to see more of that. That was a positive. I hope they don't just get Trevor. N- nothing against Trevor. I thought he did a great job, but I hope we see more coaches uh, in, in that spot as well. And I think, yeah, you have to be pleased with this, but this was a good card. And I think they played it right in terms of some of the matchups. People don't like Greg Hardy, but Greg Hardy, let's be honest, he's a name. Everyone was talking about him on Monday, you know, especially with what happened. I know we'll get into that. Um, and, and then obviously, you know, you have Paige Van Zandt and Ostevich. I mean, you know, it's, it's a women's fight. Guys are going to watch. Don't need to go into the reasons why, but you know why, obviously. And and you know, it's it to me. They they just they they did this card well, and and also having you know, so there's some questions about having Cerrone and Hernandez on the undercard. I think that was perfect because Cerrone got a finish. People know Cerrone from the WC days, even from the UFC. Uh, you know, him getting a finish on on the prelims, which were on regular ESPN, I think was huge. So they just, you know, you have to give kudos to the matchmakers and how they put this card together. It really did work out well. And hearing the numbers honestly didn't surprise me because I thought it was structured well as a good TV card. It was uh, planned out brilliantly from from that perspective. Let's talk about the early prelims. And really the highlight of that was Dennis Bermudez, who we had mentioned last week. If he loses, he's probably cut. Well, it didn't much matter whether he won or lost. He was retiring. Now, the interesting thing was, and I'm glad Daniel Cormier brought this up, he had three straight split decisions. Mm-hmm. And on MMADecisions.com, which is a very valuable resource to see fan and media perspective, he very well could have won all three of those with, quite frankly, one additional correct judge who saw what the media and what fans saw, but apparently judges didn't. He could be riding a four-fight winning streak after his Tay Edwards uh, victory. He had a very emotional post-fight speech where he said uh, he wanted to prove to his kids that he could do it and leave on a high note. Talked about how his uncle had battled cancer. This was his first fight at lightweight since I think joining the UFC and it, he feels like one of those guys that's been around since like 07 08 but he hasn't been he's been around since like 2011 Joe I know you've covered him extensively this is a guy who has a win over Max Holloway has a win over Clay Guida the one of the greatest fights in UFC history is him and Matt Grice that, that fight that unfortunately we never saw anything more out of Matt after that because of unfortunate circumstances but Maybe share some memories of Dennis Bermudez. This was a an amazing moment. Uh, some of the best memories I've had with him was pretty basic in terms of doing the interviews with him. I think we were in California at one time, uh, just doing an interview, and we had the the the, the boardroom set up uh, at the hotel, and him coming in early and just shooting the breeze. And you know, I, I had my job basically to do in terms of garnering content for his upcoming fight. We did that, and then afterwards, he just stayed there, and we just chilled, and we talked, and he was joking with the producers at the time and joking with our camera guy, and was just an overall funny guy. I just thought he was just fantastic, and every time I saw him thereafter, he's one of those guys that, that you know, um, Sean, you've heard me say it numerous times when I think, when I think some fighters are douchebags. He's not <laughs> one of those guys because he would, he would see you a month later, two months later, a year later, and still even just a little nod, man. He's like, hey, man, what's going on, brother? That kind of stuff there, as opposed to some of the guys, you know, still know the UFC roster that you could have dinner with them, hang out with them, meet their family, they meet yours, blah, blah. And then, you know, two months later, they don't even know you, like they don't even acknowledge your existence. That's not Dennis Bermudez. I've always been a fan of his because he's a straight up nice guy. And I like the fact that he did hang up the gloves. He did prove to his kids. He did say, you know what? You know, internally, you have to make that connection to say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to be able to do a run 
at 155 pounds and get that title shot? I mean, what am I fighting for? Am I fighting for the money? Am I fighting for the glory? Am I fighting to pay my bills? Um, you know, as long as he set himself up correctly, uh, you know, he got, he went in there, got that glory. We have lots of fond memories of him. And, and, you know, Sean and I, you and I have talked about it many times. Those three straight split decisions, uh-uh, he won, he won, he won. So this is a guy that potentially, you know, really in, in our minds at least, but wish the world would know that, you know, he's basically leaving on a four fight win streak. Quite frankly, <laughs> a fringe top 15 guy still. Uh, hanging it up because had he had he been given those three decisions, the way that media and the way that fans saw it, we'd be talking about him winning six of his last seven, with the only loss being to yeah. Korean Zombie. Uh, James, before I get your thoughts, how about this three-year stretch? He went three and zero on the Ultimate Fighter, including a win over Jimmy Rivera. He beat Max Holloway. He had that fight with Matt Grice. He uh, beat Clay Guida, and in that three-year period. How about five fight night bonuses? Two performance of the nights, a submission of the night, two fights of the night, and a uh, submission of the season, I believe it was, against Akira Khorasani on that, that tough season. That's three years. And, oh, by the way, during that period of time, he reeled off a seven-fight winning streak. And if you include his tough streak, had won 10 of 11 fights. That's unbelievable, James. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where had things gone the other way, we could be talking about, you know, this great story of Bermuda's fighting for a title or something. But unfortunately, things did not go his way. And even some of those losses, like the Jeremy Stevens fight, especially that was a fight he was winning. And it just he got caught. They both, you know, slugged it out. And Stevens got the better shot there. Uh, the Ricardo Lamas fight, I remember being very disappointing because it just it was just a quick submission. It's like, what? After that huge winning streak, you get submitted in the first round. So he's had some tough luck. I'll give him that. But, you know, he made the right choice. It's so rare, Sean. We know this. It's so rare to see a fighter uh, quit when 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 they're coming off a win or at, at the right time. It's always the fighter always retires too late. So I'm always uh, encouraged to see a fighter like Bermudez because I think he knew. I mean, can you imagine, you know, he got the win here, but can you imagine him fighting like Poirier or Habib or something like, I don't think it would be going the same way. So I think he realizes that even though he is only 32 in fight years, he's certainly a lot older than that. He made the right choice. So I give him props and I wish him uh, whatever's uh, best, uh, you know, whatever's next for him, uh, all the best. I remember seeing him or at least seeing his name on the M1 Americas show in 2010 that Zach Makovsky was on. And it is very humbling for me to have talked about all this stuff that Dennis Bermudez has done. I look at his age. He is a year and a half younger than me. (laughs) He just turned 32 (laughs) last month. So you never know what can happen in the UFC or with a guy like Dennis Bermudez at that age, especially in the competitive free agent market that we have as well. But man, that was an amazing moment. UFC was quick to put up his retirement speech. John Anik recognized it. He, he read the situation very well. This was a special moment that I'm glad that he shared with us. Uh, on the prelim card on ESPN, you had Alonzo Minifield. Man, he looks like one to watch. Technique uh, isn't exactly top-notch, but he got the job done in quick fashion. You have Corey Sandhagen, James, who you have interviewed, just <laughs> spammed submission attempts until he got one to work. It was phenomenal. Uh, what stood out to you in these first two fights? Um, yeah, just a lot really to like here uh, with with the prelims. A lot of good performances. Menafield, especially at two hundred five, looks great. And another guy from Fortis MMA that gym again has had some quite some success. Uh, Jeff Neal also won on this card too. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, Sanhagen. I mean, this worked out great. Like Sanhagen was going to fight John Lineker. I think we would have picked Lineker in that fight and he gets a newcomer and he gets even more fans like this guy is just fun to watch I saw him was on Ariel's show uh, yesterday I mean it's great to see him getting the publicity he's getting and he's 10 and 1 now so you know I I think he's really done a great job of establishing himself in the UFC and uh, I thought the prelims really lived up to it too Uh, the one fight we we haven't talked about I'm sure we will but the Joanne Calderwood fight Joanne Calderwood's back I mean how many people are writing her off saying Lipsky's gonna destroy her and this and that like, you know, I think Calderwood finding the right camp in Vegas at Syndicate, uh, getting to actually train with women, which I know was something she didn't get to do a lot in her other camps, I think paid off as well. So just a lot of really good, like, I think every fight on the prelim had something notable to, to point out. And it was just a, another sort of feather in the cap for ESPN. Joe, James mentioned Joanne Calderwood going to Syndicate. And boy, has it helped her. You look at the transformation that they helped create for Roxanne Modafferi. If you were a woman and you were experienced and maybe things aren't going your way, I got to be thinking about syndicate. I got to be looking at syndicate and saying, 
whatever they have going on there is something that I want to be a part of. And uh, I mean, I thought that Joanne Calderwood looked great. She was one of my I got five on it to the point where it was one of my I got five on it that I actually picked. I had her winning this fight. Early on, we saw Lipsky find some success at range, but she was knackered by round two. She was exhausted. Joanne Calderwood imposed her will. And Joanne Calderwood, I think, wisely said, give me Jessica I. Give me somebody like that. Because she says, we're 3-0 and in this division. Why does she say that? Because a lot of people look back and they say, oh, she's only won two fights in a row. Well, she fought Valerie Letourneau in 2016 at flyweight, the real division that she belonged in, Joe. I think it's smart of her to include that. Uh, I wonder how different Calderwood's career would be if she hadn't fought Andrade and Calvillo at a weight she didn't belong in. What are your thoughts, your feelings on this fight and Calderwood in general? Okay, so first things first, before I get to Joanne or JoJo, um, I, I do want to say that, you know, Mojea was mentally out of that fight, guys. Yes, he was. He, it, I'm so happy and proud of him. You, you get to the UFC uh, and you get emotional <sighs> because you've made it. You finally made it, but you have to figure out a way to tap back inside to that warrior spirit uh, and to the killer within you. I think... Uh, I, I'd like to see that rematch, to be honest with you. I really would. I want to see. I, I hope they don't cut Mahalo. I don't think they will. But I think he was mentally not ready to go. crying on his way to the cage. Yeah, right? That's just the emotions catching up, right? Uh, now, uh, back to JoJo. I, I, we can't really fault her for taking those fights back in the day because she had no choice. I know yeah. guys personally um, that you know aren't fighting anymore. They used to fight uh, that are from the Toronto scene. You know, Richard Nanku, as an example, a crazy little monkey. Uh, that's his nickname, Macaquinho Safado. He, he soaking wet. He's a he's a fought, he's a flyweight. This guy was fighting at lightweight back in the day because there was no one else to fight. Uh, I would love to have seen him in his prime competing at flyweight. Um, Jojo had no choice. Now that she's in a division where she belongs, things change because she doesn't have to punish herself anymore uh, in doing certain things, and she can actually, you know, she's with a good team right now, and you know, with her experience. She can make decisions and fights to determine, you know what? Can't go for that first round finish. Got to, I, I want it. It's not there. Try the second round. Not there. Got to keep going. Got to keep punishing my opponent. And in her post-fight interview, you know, damn you, DC, for taking uh, Fightful's, uh, you know, gimmick here. We're talking about her voice all the time because he complimented her voice. But even the way she asked for Jessica I was so sweet and so, you know, prim and proper. It was just like, Come on, Jessica, take that fight. And she, she flat out said, if you don't ask, you're not going to receive it. Just the nicest way to ask for a fight, not talking trash, not you know trying to raise any, any not to create any headlines. I just think it was so beautiful the way it was done. And it's a fight I would absolutely love to see, guys. James, oh, a lot of people forget Joanne Calderwood when she started as a pro fighter. I mean, one of the ways she made her name was that Super Fight League went over Lena, who I think was 8-1 and one at the time. And looked at least to be some sort of prospect in, in some degree. And Joanne knocked her off. Joanne is now 5-0 and as a flyweight. Jessica I is getting that title shot, according to Dana White. I don't blame Joanne for calling her out. I saw Caitlin Chikagan saying she wanted that fight. And I'm like, ah, that's a good way to not have a good fight at all, is fighting Caitlin Chikagan. No, no disrespect to her, but she has boring fights. What do you think is next for Joanne Calderwood? It's tough to say. I mean, it's such a new division. We don't really know uh, who's sort of rank. I mean, we have rankings, but I mean, really, we don't know. We can't really gauge too much on, on where people sort of fit. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Chukagan's an option, even though she's coming off a loss. You've got, you know, Paige Van Zant one. That would probably be a big step up for Paige. And I, I think the UFC knows better not to, you know, rush Paige again like they did against Rose Nami Yunus. Um, I, I don't know. Honestly, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like some name, like Lauren Murphy. I, is, Lauren's fighting someone, though, I think. Uh, I, was, I was trying to remember. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think of fighters that were like sort of ranked uh, fairly high. Um, she won't fight Roxanne, obviously, because they're teammates. Um, Carmouche would be a good one. Carmouche, there you go. I think this Car- Carmouche has a fight, I think. I mean, either way. Yeah, I think she does, yeah. but that's who I would like to see her match. But yeah, no, with. you're like, like I, I know what you mean uh, in terms of like, you know, that type of uh, opposition. Yeah, uh, Carmouche is fighting uh, Lucy Pudalava at uh, UFC on ESPN3. But yeah, um, either way, I mean, it's it, it's good to be in the Joanne Calderwood business. Uh, you know, that's two good wins, wins now for her. And uh, I'm sure we'll see a better performance at Ellipsky. Um, You know, I, it just it didn't look like herself in that fight, but not taking anything away from Joanne because she looked great in that fight. Donald Cerrone defeated Alexander Hernandez, absolutely fathered 
Alexander Hernandez. And I thought these two guys did a great job, James, of building up this fight before it happened. They did an awesome job in the, in the days leading up to it. But ultimately, Donald Cerrone still got it. Not only does he still got it, he might also got a fight with Conor McGregor because Conor McGregor was so impressed that he goes, yeah, I think I'll fight you. That is a fight, in my opinion, that can headline a pay-per-view without a title. But if they wanted to incentivize a Conor McGregor, <laughs> and Joe, you're shaking your head because you know what I'm going to say. Hey, Conor, you want to come back? Oh, we got this new title. You don't have one of your copies of it yet. 165 pounds? Let's do it. What did you think of the fight, uh, James? Uh, the moment, it was it was really good. Cowboy Cerrone looking good of late. Over the past 11 months, he's 3-1. and one. Alexander Hernandez will be back, but your thoughts? Great fight. Uh, again, good, good placement, like I said, for the ESPN card. Um, clearly, myself and others, uh, you know, underestimated Cerrone. And, and I think, you know, part of that I thought was the weight cut, but it didn't seem to be an issue for him. He is definitely back. Um, I see a lot of people hating on Alex Hernandez saying, you know, he's disrespectful and all that, but it's like, how are, how, like, how are we supposed to market the sport? Because like, I didn't think Hernandez was like super out of line. And I think you need to sell yourself. Like if Hernandez said nothing, if he was a mute, if he was like some of the other fighters on the roster, people would be saying he's not selling himself. And like, who's Alex Hernandez? Who is this guy? So I don't have an issue with that. I don't know why people seem to come down on this guy. People love it when someone is like talking a lot of trash and they lose and they come after him. So I don't really get that. Hernandez will be back. Like you said, and for Cerrone, do, do the McGregor fight. It makes too much sense. McGregor wants it. He wants it. It's a competitive fight for both guys, in my opinion. We forget that the last time Cerrone fought at lightweight, before this one on Saturday, he fought RDA and he looked terrible. I mean, remember that winning streak he had heading into the title fight? He got completely outmatched against RDA. So I think there's part of him that needs some redemption. I mean, the Hernandez win is good, but let's see how he does against the top guys in lightweight. We'll see. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I think it would be very competitive if him and Connor fought. And again, it's a winnable fight for either guy. And, and Cerrone's a big enough name that I think would elevate that fight even more than, say, like an Iaquintas. So, um, yeah, big win for Donald Cerrone and Hernandez, 26 years old. He's got plenty of time. Joe, your thoughts? Well, I mean, <laughs> let's be honest for one second. Connor McGregor looked at that fight and <laughs> said, yeah, I'll fight you. He sees easy pickings, in my opinion. And the TV my, numbers were good too. So, yeah, he, in my opinion, Don or Conor McGregor looks at Donald Cerrone and says, "Easy payday." Really does see easy payday. I look at that fight and I think to myself, "He's going to tag Donald. Donald's a fighter. Donald's great. He's not in his prime. Conor's got that southpaw and he's fast. He's precise. I think this is the perfect fight for Conor McGregor and the UFC." to get Connor's name back out there uh, on a winning side, introduce that 165 pound title. I think it's absolutely a fantastic idea. And Donald Cerrone deserves this fight in a main event on a pay-per-view. So he can either a ride off into the sunset or whatever Donald wants to do. But the bottom line is I want to see millions and millions and millions of dollars in Donald Cerrone's bank account because he deserves it. And man, if he can pull off a victory, uh, over Conor McGregor, still retire. Even if you become the champion, retire no matter what. So uh, I will never call or count out Donald Cerrone in a fight against anyone. I'm just <laughs> saying on paper, this one just looks like Conor McGregor will can, can just piece out or piece up uh, um, Donald Cerrone uh, and emerge victorious. But sign me up. This fight has to happen, in my opinion. Well, Cerrone made $450,000 the other night between fight bonuses, salaries, and uh, incentive pay. So he walked away with some good change, but he's he needs to walk away with even more. This is almost like a lifetime achievement award for him, like getting the red panty night with, with Conor McGregor. Let's move on to the main card. A couple of uh, – Joseph Benavidez versus Dustin Ortiz. Nothing spectacular here. Both men wisely showed up on championship weight. We'll talk about that. But – on the other end of things, the the women's flyweight division, we saw Rachel Ostevich come through and hit some nasty power doubles, like some real impressive ones. I got to give Paige Van Zant credit. When she saw her one opportunity to win, James, she pounced on it. She knew that if Rachel Ostevich got back on top of her, it was going to be a long night, and she made it work. I think that says a lot about the heart of Paige Van Zant and uh, – I respect her a lot for letting go of that submission because she did not have to. If you guys remember the Marsha Allen, Jessamine Duke fight, referees can be wildly out of place on an arm bar. 
and almost to a dangerous degree. This one was, as it turns out, but uh, Paige Van Zant led up. What did you think of the two uh, undercard flyweight fights, James? Yeah, the Benavides fight, uh, you pretty much summed it up like I did. Like, wow, Joseph Benavides won a decision over Ortiz. It's shocking. I mean, yeah. we didn't see that coming. You know, it's just it, it was just one of those. And, and I'm not taking anything away from either guy, but, I mean, this was pretty predictable. You know, good fight, not not a great fight, like if Benavides did something crazy. And I think that just speaks to the evolution of Dustin Ortiz. He's really gotten a lot better. Um, you know, there were moments for both guys in this fight. But, again, just not nothing really noteworthy in that matchup. And, yeah, you mentioned it there. I think a lot of people don't like Paige because of the push she's got. And, obviously, there's a little bit of, you know, she's a good-looking girl, so people sort of feel like she's being favored and all that stuff. So people overlook the fact that she's fought they a lot of tough fighters. They can shut up, James. They can all yeah. shut up. Exactly, exactly. So there is, um, you know, the, she's she's very talented. And, I mean, her ground game is great. And I think that was why she was the favorite in this fight was she had a clear edge on the ground. And certainly, like you said, she saw that opening. She got it. Good for Paige. I mean, they, they need to be smart with her. Just build her up uh, adequately. I think we saw when she fought Rose Nami Yunus, there was clearly a, you know, a distinct difference in skill set. Um, and actually, Paige was the favorite in that fight, if you remember. So it uh, just goes yeah. to show you how uh, how off they were on that. But, you know, build off this. Paige is, is good. And she's, you know, she's, if you've ever, like, I've spoken to her, she's a very, uh, you know, great interview, really nice and all that. And, you know, people just, for whatever reason, they they want to find a reason not to like her. So this is a good win for Paige. Rachel Ostevich will be back. I have no doubt about it. I know she's four and five now, but I think the fact that she took this fight when she really didn't need to, I think speaks volumes to hopefully what the UFC should be doing, which is getting her another fight. And then if, and if that doesn't work, then send her to Invicta. Not a big deal. They, they sort of monitor that anyways. But yeah, good win for Paige. Uh, she, she's back for sure. A lot of people seem to think Paige is WWE bound or going to head there. I don't see it. I know that she's extended her willingness to, but James, when you interviewed her, she said, yeah, I follow the WWE Divas. They have not been called Divas for like three years, so she does <laughs> exactly. not follow them. She does not have the basic grappling skill set that a lot of people who make that transition and do well do. Uh, Joe, we also saw Gregor Gillespie just mollywop Yancey Medeiros. Medeiros was an I got five on it, but not somebody that I necessarily felt comfortable picking. We also saw Glover Teixeira come back for some nasty elbows and finish Carl Roberson. Uh, outside of the co-main event and the main event, what about these fights stood out to you? Uh, Glover's return in terms of taking those elbows, because, I mean, you can go up and down this card here, and you, a referee would have stopped that. Any other referee could have probably stopped it after those elbows. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to my thoughts on, on referee stoppages in this card whenever you ask later on, Sean. But uh, I'm very happy with how Glover was able to do that, because Roberson's a bad dude, man. He's got power. Uh, and Glover's experience prevailed, right? Did a fantastic job. And then you don't want Glover on top of you, squeezing you. That guy's strong. He's got man strength. You, Sean, you've heard me tell the story. James, I don't know if you ever saw it at Sportsnet. He said he would come to Toronto to help me build my deck in the backyard. Just give him power tools and, and a sledgehammer. He's down. Like that's how, he's, he's got man strength. He's got dad strength. You don't want that guy squeezing you. I do want to say one thing about Paige Van Zandt. She's freaking cool as heck. In yeah. my conversations with her, her and her manager, they're, they're funny, man. They're really good peeps from California. At the same time, I was very impressed with Rachel's uh, striking and her takedowns. That overhand, my yeah, God. Yeah, man. Like, I just think that – I hate making excuses for fighters sometimes, but you know, mentally, was she, was she 100% in this fight? She believed in herself, and I'm happy for her. I think she deserves at least one more fight in the UFC because I, I saw an evolution uh, in her as a professional mixed martial artist. She did great. Uh, Benavides Ortiz, you know, it's a scrap. Good scrap. I liked it. It was, it was good enough. Uh, I, I didn't think Gillespie was going to do to Medeiros what he did to him um, for that duration um, in that second round. I thought Yancey would figure something out. He didn't. Gillespie's a bad, bad dude. We know it. We already knew that. Damn, you did it to the Hawaiian. Man, you're tough as nails, bro. Good for you. When I look at Osevich, I think a lot of it has to do with consistency. And I, I, like I said, I love those power doubles. I love the the overhand to the double. That was really, really awesome. But you, you look at her fight history, and she fought once her first year fighting. Then she fought three times in 2014. Then one time. Then one time. Then I think it was four or five times in 2017. Now she's back to fighting once a year. And I'm like, man, there has to be some consistency there, especially with a blossoming skill set that we saw. Oh, blossoming. A disqualification blossomed out of Greg Hardy. This was one of my I got five on it, man. I don't know how everybody was so comfortable picking Greg Hardy 
against a guy who had that much experience, whether or not it was refined experience or not. I mentioned on the podcast that a lot of people ask how elite athletes will translate to MMA. Well, the gas tank didn't translate very well. The most impressed I was about this was that Hardy didn't get finished out of a crucifix, James. That was about it. But that illegal knee was completely absent-minded. Hardy says that he didn't do it intentionally. Crowder doesn't believe that he did it intentionally. Oh, man, I hate to say this, but from a marketing standpoint, it couldn't have went better for the UFC because they're going to give this guy another fight. And it's like, how do you make a lightning rod for controversy even more controversial? Here you go. Yeah, it's and it's funny because I see people now saying, oh, Hardy should fight someone else. It's like, no, if anyone no. had ever cared about Alan, Alan Crowder, it's at this exact moment. So you need to capitalize this and do the rematch. Um, I, I am kind of uh, disagreeing with a lot of people that like, and I, you didn't really say it there, but I see a lot of people making out like Crowder was dominating him. I thought it was a pretty close fight. Um, I think the first round I gave to Hardy, the second round I gave to Crowder, but um, and obviously the fight ended in the second round. But, uh, you know, Crowder had his moments. It looked like there were times when he was going to finish, but Hardy was teeing off as well. It looked like, I mean, he's always dangerous when the fight got to the feet um i wasn't as yeah just, i just i wasn't in the camp as much the thought that crowder did did amazing it's heavyweight mma so clearly anyone can get knocked out at any time but it's just man if for if people didn't hate greg hardy before now they have this as, as ammo saying that he can be a dirty fighter i'm with you i don't think he did it intentionally but they got to do this rematch to me it's you know again you're, you're not going to care as much about alan crowder as you will right now so so get him in the rematch do that like if hardy fought someone else He's always going to have that what if with the Crowder fight. So they need to finish this out. I know in the past they haven't done rematches like what would happen with uh, Eddie Alvarez and Poirier. It took them much longer to do that rematch. Like, it, you know, that the UFC has done that before. But this is one of those cases where people know Hardy. People now know Crowder. Put it together and, and let's get it going and let, let's see what really happens there. Because we don't have a lot of questions answered from that fight. Joe, your thoughts on what happened? Yeah, I know we're running out of time here, guys. So I'll be quick. Run it back. Uh, you can make the argument that Greg Hardy did intentionally do that. He did throw the strike. He did throw the knee, but I think he was in fight mode. He was in fight mode looking for an opportunity to land a finishing strike, uh, forgetting for that one split second that what you just threw was illegal. So good on the disqualification. He deserves to be disqualified. I don't think he intentionally did it. I think he was in a fight uh, and not in a mixed martial arts boat. I think he just wasn't able to make that difference at that moment in time. Uh, I'm not forgiving the guy for anything, but you know, I, I want to see this fight run it back. Main event, TJ Dillashaw stopped by Henry Cejudo with the quickness. Henry Cejudo emerges victorious. TJ Dillashaw in the cage said, run it back, 135. Then afterwards he said, no, only at 125. Now he's saying, at any weight. I want to know what you thought about the stoppage, Joe. I want to know what you thought of the fight. Henry Cejudo building quite the resume. I wouldn't have stopped the fight because it's a different story. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, in a championship fight, the guy or the girl has to be out cold. Out cold or tapping pretty much. And I think that TJ was still attempting to fight back, even though he was dazed and confused. And he's not a contender. So uh, someone that makes it to a championship fight as a contender has worked pretty much their whole career to put, some, put themselves into that championship fight. As a referee, a big John will tell you this all the time, give them a lot more leeway. Just be ready to stop it if they're out cold or they're tapping out. Now we're talking about a champion in that situation. You got to give him more leeway, in my opinion, uh, to fight back. And if, it, if it, he's dazed, he's confused, doesn't know what's going on, go watch Shogun and Dan Henderson. Talk about guys that are experienced, dazed and confused, that continue to fight back. I think TJ should have been allowed a bit more. I know it's not a popular opinion, but a bit more to at least say, you know what? Let me try and recover. Let's see what happens here. And if it gets to the point where his eyes roll back and he goes limp, stop the fight. James. I agree with Joe here. Uh, let's be part of the unpopular club. Uh, to me, in a championship fight, you need to give more leeway. Uh, so wasn't an early stoppage. As far as champ, what we know for title fights and how much leeway they give, yes, it was an early stoppage. But as far as the fight itself was an early stoppage, no. I, I know that doesn't make a lot of sense, but I think that in championship fights, you need to give a little bit more leeway uh, for stoppages like that. So I don't blame TJ for being upset and you know everything that he's put into this. He made weight. A lot of people didn't think he'd make weight. So 
Um, I, I think I think the solution here is to run it back at 35. Henry won. I know you know it's it's going to be a tough sell getting him to uh, you know do do the fight at 25 again. So do it at 35, but maybe not do it right away. Let let's you know you got a pretty important fight. Like I'm sure Rafael Sunsau and Marlon Moraes are watching that fight, going, "God damn it!" Because it's like you know they they're, the winner of that fight realistically should uh, get to fight um, you know the, the the winner of uh, you know TJ or I should say should fight TJ that the champion. So uh, I, I say to do the rematch, but not right away. Let let uh, Suhudo fight Benavides in a rematch. That was a controversial fight, and do the winner of Moraes and Asuncao fighting TJ, and then you go from there. But that's also assuming that TJ wins that next fight. But that's my my thoughts on it. Think they need to rehire some of these flyweights. Yeah, like, or I, just yeah. What what Shorty Torres is out of a job for what? For for what? Why was that guy let go? Boy, that is just the definition of. Uh, an itchy trigger finger is what the UFC did right there. Well, guys, we're going to have Bellator coverage this weekend. I want to thank the Talking MMA community for joining us on uh, Saturday. We had over 1,600 comments in our live discussion. We got a live uh, podcast eventually on this weekend for Bellator, but we have live coverage and discussion for Bellator, NXT, WWE, all that good stuff. Joe, what do you have going on this week? Uh, Titan FC, this Friday. I am leaving on uh, Thursday morning. I'm going to be hitting the ground running, get right to the weigh-ins, do my 20 interviews with the fighters, uh, get prepped up, get back to the hotel, and then call the fights the following day, back home on Saturday. So Titan FC on UFC Fight Pass, guys. It's going to be a fantastic show, solid main event, and some good fighters as well throughout the card. Check it out. James, hit us with your schedule. I mean... You're, you've kind of given us your schedule, but hey. Uh, yes. Um, so basically uh, this week, you know, for Bellator, obviously check out my coverage. But uh, one thing we didn't even talk about here on the uh, on the podcast was I did an interview yesterday with Israel Adesanya. So check that out on Fightful.com. Got some really cool comments about his fight with Anderson Silva on February 9th. And yeah, just uh, follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports and check out Fightful. We're going to get the best coverage this week for Bellator. So make sure you tune in. Leave us a thumbs up, subscribe. Thank you all for getting us to 1,000. We are out.